Today is Wednesday. It's December 6, 2023. It's 2.35 in the afternoon. And hi, this is John Williams. Thanks for finding the Mincing Rascals podcast. Do share us with your friends. You know, I say that a lot at the beginning of our podcast. (laughs) I hope you really do. Please help us expand our little reach here on the Mincing Rascals. Tell your friends to listen to us. You can email us, johnwilliams at wgnradio.com, and you can give us a good review. You can hear portions of this podcast broadcast Saturday nights on WGN at 8 o'clock. And you can always hear me weekdays on WGN Radio from 10 to 2. I'm Austin Berg from the Illinois Policy Institute. If you need a Christmas gift for someone who wants to fix Chicago, you can get my book, The New Chicago Way, Lessons from Other Big Cities. I'm Kate Plies, former Chicago reporter and columnist, now running the strange website, Roseland Chicago 1972. I'm Neil Steinberg, columnist with Chicago Sun-Times, blogger at an unnamed blog, which is also the title of my book, Every Blank Day. A Quotidian History of Chicago, which makes a delightful Christmas or Hanukkah gift. Every GD day, if you're every GD day, if That's you're right. searching, and it's not GD, it's the whole the whole title is written out there. I advised him against it, but no, no, he had to put that word on there. Yes. How has that book sold over the last year? Because it came out last year. I have no idea. It's not like they come and tell me. I think it did okay. It hasn't been put on deep sale on Amazon. I I sold a dozen copies the other day. I put a note on my blog and 12 people bought it. So I felt pretty good about it. You don't run out to your mailbox every day and get a check from... People buy it from the book bin because it's two blocks away, the book bin in Northbrook, and then I ride my bike over and sign it for them, and the book bin ships it out. It's a a symbiotic relationship like the (laughs) clownfish and the uh, sea anemone. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Good start. Last week, was it UK? One of the rascals said that you should not build a plane while you're flying it which is advice the city of Chicago did not take when planning to move a couple thousand migrants onto land previously used by a zinc smelter. The soil there is sufficiently toxic that the state has pulled out of the migrant camp construction in Brighton Park. You still see gaggles of Venezuelans at police stations and on street corners in our town. But you don't see or hear about any plans about what to do with these people now. All we know is that they are within two weeks, going to go from like zero to done with an old CVS that they've also been uh, kind of keeping in the wings as a possibility. Somehow, even though they've been looking at that site for months, the state can just get it up and running within two weeks now that this migrant camp in Brighton Park is, is, is off. But that's 200 people. Only 200. Oh, yeah. That's not the 2,000 they were going to put in Brighton Park. What about you, Neil? You heard anything? Uh, no, but the, the word plan jumped out of what you said. Planning does not seem to be their strong suit. You know, this is like that scene in Monty Python where you see the guy running from far off and the guards kind of just watch him until he gets to them. I mean, the, the fact that it's now the first week of December and they're still trying to figure this out. I mean, I mean this has been a horrific blotch on an already spattered uh, mayorality. Should the state have been more helpful or resourceful in this? I, I think it's very interesting that it, this has been framed as kind of, uh, and I, I think the Chicago Sun-Times editorial board sort of played in too easily to this framing that Pritzker's coming to save the day. He's he's stopping this because it's dangerous. I can't say that I've ever uh, produced or even read an 800-page environmental impact report with any kind of nuance or sophistication, but it does strike me that that report, which was 
I mean, incredibly botched to Neil's point in its rollout. Media got it before the state did and the governor did on last Friday. Media was having to FOIA for the document after the mayor had said earlier in the week that you guys are going to get it on Friday, like just a total mess. But it strikes me that that the issuance of that report was actually a very good, in, in some ways, excuse for the governor to step in and not have to have himself be associated with what was clearly going to be a boondoggle and something that the state did in many ways encourage in terms of funding, uh, in terms of signing a contract with with uh, Garda. Uh, is it? Garda Garda? World. Yeah, Garda, Garda World. World. I always when I, I'm about to say Garda World, I, I think to myself, how is this company named Garda World? What do you not like about the name Garda World? Because it sounds like a theme park that is uh, the theme of which is some kind of disease that's transmitted on dirty surfaces. Hey, kids, let's go to Garda World. We'll pick up yeah. COVID. Okay, fine. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So the the state sort of, uh, while I think it's a good idea it was discontinued, it felt very much to me sort of like a crisis management opportunity from the governor's office. And of course, so there's plenty of blame to go around, definitely in the mayor's office. But I, I think it's a little... Um, it doesn't strike me as, as as accurate that, oh, thank goodness, uh, you know, the governor was the adult in the room here. I have to agree with you, Austin. I mean, I mean, I, what kind of environmental survey did they do of the lobbies of police stations? I mean, <laughs> when I first heard this, I thought, you know, they're going to be intense and things. So hopefully they won't be playing in the dirt much in January. So there was a sense of compared to where, where these refugees have been, this is still an improvement. On the other hand, they could be there for the next 10 years. So, you know, you do want to get this right. You don't want to put it on a bunch of mercury. I felt like the sometimes editorial did hand a little too much to to Pritzker for being some kind of savior on this, because even though Brandon Johnson's administration has just screwed up the whole thing from from A to Z on this Brighton Park location, if nothing else, every single thing about the Brighton Park location, completely wrong. Okay, fine. But where was the state in all this all this time? I mean, to me, it seems like if if Johnson and Pritzker won't get together and demand more from the federal government, if it's two Democrats who don't want to kind of hold the Biden administration's feet to the fire over the fact that they should be distributing the migrants around the nation, still, it seems to me that the state has just left the city to it's like it's your problem like we'll help you here and there but it's your problem because really they could pritzker could have decided to help us out with more than just money a lot sooner he could have taken more responsibility and distributed migrants around the state but that would be hard to do well, right whose so responsibility have. should it be if they i know they land in chicago but that's the biggest city in the state um so is it therefore the city's problem or the state's problem this well that's what i'm saying i don't understand why but i don't know the answer to that automatically question. our problem just and practically either we're the sanctuary city see if you can't get you know if, if there's protests to put them on an industrial park in brighton park what's going to happen if they try to take them down to you know peoria had the city not bungled it so badly we would have been so of course we're going to take care of this 
So, I, I, you know, I, I understand that in, 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 in an ideal world, the state would be there cooperative and helpful. But I think in reality, you know, you break it, you bought it. We, we called this on ourselves and now we got to figure it out. Wait a minute. We called this on ourselves. What does that mean? Well, by, by promoting the sanctuary city. But that's, what does that mean? Did when we promoted ourselves as a sanctuary city is inferred in that? Please put migrants on a bus at midnight well, and okay. drop them off here. With I, am, no I guess I'm blaming the victim here in the sense that that, that we we didn't Blame know the, the governor, governor of Texas. Texas. I don't think the city of Chicago asked for this. I know we declared ourselves something that had no teeth. Uh, put it this way: if we had not declared ourselves a sanctuary city, they still would have dropped them in Chicago's doorstep. Don't you think? Not necessarily. I mean, they're, they're not dropping really? them at Detroit. At Detroit Star, I, I, I do think. I mean, look, Chicago has become the whipping boy of the nation for a variety of reasons. So maybe you're right, though. That, that, that we, we're, you know, we're in the sights of Fox News. So maybe, maybe they would have shown up anyway. One thing that I thought was really interesting on there was a, a an interview with Southside Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor on the Ben Jarofsky show. And she, in many ways, is a progressive icon because of her background uh, at the, the going on hunger strike during uh, school closures. She's on the local school council for 20 years. The Chicago Teachers Union is her largest financial backer, giving more than $200,000 to her campaign. And she brought up something there's, that's a fascinating must listen to interview in many ways. But one thing she brought up that I totally forgot about uh, in talking about sort of the migrant crisis was that Mayor Lightfoot told Greg Abbott to kiss her behind in in media and in inflamed tensions with unnecessarily with with the state of Texas over this. And I completely forgot about that as, uh, you know, a potential spark for a lot of this. I mean, maybe there's no way that the, uh, the mayor of Chicago could have ratcheted down the volume of this, but that certainly didn't. Help. I can one up. I completely forgot about Lori Lightfoot at times. And it's a wonderful <laughs> thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I do agree with Neil that declaring ourselves a sanctuary city it did put us in the line to receive the migrants when the Texas governor and Florida suddenly got this idea because we were declaring all immigration was good. A hundred years from now, when we have this vibrant Venezuelan community, we're going to look back on this as this wonderful thing that happened to Chicago. Um, because every other, you know, we don't go, oh, my God, if only those Italians hadn't shown up, what a lovely place this would be. Uh, so I, I do think that, that even though it's a practical problem and botching it makes it even more of a problem. But that's, you know, you get an amateur. I mean, I was thinking about Brandon Johnson in advance of this, John, and if you needed your toilet fixed, and I showed up and I said, and I'm free of any sort of taint of plumbing experience, that, that wouldn't be a recommendation. And I think what we're seeing now is that being a politician is a skill, and it's hard. And if you show up with sort of a glib pattern and a pointed hairdo, you know, you just start to mess things up left and right. And sadly, I think we got three and a half more years of this. I think the governor is starting to understand that. So you saw for the first time a really public hot shot from the governor's office to the mayor's office. And he's only been in office for 200 and some days. And his spokesperson said, quote, while the city might be comfortable placing asylum seekers on a site where toxins are present without a full understanding of whether it is safe, the state is not. Um, So again, Pritzker is not blameless in this, but he's able, he will be able to throughout this crisis, I think, given especially his media connections, his sophistication in media, his track record as a governor, as it were, 
he is going to be able to train everyone's sites on the failings of this administration. And guess what? The administration's making it very, very easy to do that. And even just in that week leading up to Friday, it was like every day was a new a new snafu for the governor. Doesn't the state of Illinois have some welcoming status? Haven't we issued a proclamation? Hasn't JB spoken out about the open arms of Illinois for migrants the way the city of Chicago has? Yes, and that's what I was going to say before. That's why, in my opinion, even though we did put ourselves, you know, in the line of fire here, so to speak, by being a sanctuary city, Pritzker and the state have been saying the same thing. So why is it just on us? And why is the state not has not taken more responsibility up till now? Because it's optics, Kate. I mean, if you look at the state of Illinois. Oh, yeah, that was a rhetorical question. Oh, sorry. (laughs) But not for me. Go ahead. Answer the question anyway. What's the state of Illinois known for? People fleeing. You know, if you would at, tap someone on the shoulder and say, what's the Illinois problem? Well, people are taking off because of lack of opportunity. And you say, what about the 20,000 Venezuelans who walked through, you know, the Darien Gap to get here? Obviously, they think this is a place to, to, to start their lives. But that, you know, this is all, a lot of this is about preconceived notions. Like, you know, the mayor is going to be wearing the jacket for this now to, to, to use the lovely political phrase. And, Almost nothing he's going to do is going to change that while the state, you know, uh, Pritzker has distinguished himself for a few coups he's done. He's gotten the convention here. He's, you know, he he, he stood up to Trump. He has, he has national aspirations. And I, I just think that and he's and look how deftly he did duck whatever responsibility. He has. <laughs> yeah, he's right. I, it's, it's funny how many people when I'm talking about Chicago to family and friends at a party or dinner or whatever, regardless of their politics, Everybody agrees that Brandon Johnson is just way in over his head. To your point, Neil, there's a skill set that you need, and maybe winning office isn't the same as being good in office. He just doesn't seem to know what he's doing or communicate it well. He doesn't seem to matter. I mean, with Lori Lightfoot, she seemed it seemed worth talking to her. I haven't even talked to Brand. I mean, I, I talked to Stacey Gates, which I guess is is kind of cutting out the middleman. It doesn't seem to be a significant player. He's like sort of like this deer in the headlights who's there and things are happening all around him. He's sort of the, the sweet pea of Chicago politics. I have a running Google Doc now. So sim- after I heard that, that Jeanette Taylor make that remark about Lori Lightfoot, I said, I cannot, the, the volume of scandal, buffoonery, mistakes coming out of the mayoral administration right now, it's actually very hard to keep track of. And now I have, whenever I'm seeing something, I literally have a day-by-day Google Doc of things that are going on. And last week it was like, Tuesday, your top ally told a, a, a radio show host that progressives, quote, should not be on the fifth floor where you're looking really stupid. Uh, the same day you rolled out your migrant shelter plan with faith leaders funded by $350,000 in seed money. Where did the seed money come from? Uh, the law firm run by the mother of the vice president of the Chicago Teachers Union that gets millions of dollars from the Chicago Teachers Union. You're, you're doing the oldest socialist trick in the book, which is asking your parents for money. The On Wednesday, there is the, uh, the problem with city council access being restricted, and the ACLU is now going after the administration. The next day, reporting that they have almost $2,000 in outstanding red light camera fines. That same day, there is a, we talked about this on the show, in the West Loop, a homeless encampment there that the alderman has brought attention to because of public safety concerns. 
He said that Mayor Brandon Johnson's chief of staff told him that, well, if you vote for banning the tipped minimum wage and hiking the real estate transfer tax, then maybe we could do something about it. Well, there was just a guy arrested there with $60,000 worth of heroin and crack and a gun. And then we saw the the environmental report on Friday. That was one week. That was one week. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, the um, red light camera fines, are you talking about the mayor's detail? Yeah. That was amazing to me. And and just reminded me of what should have been very embarrassing, but they laughed it off. All of the unpaid fines that Brandon Johnson had as a private citizen or as a member of the – what was he before he was mayor? Was he in the the county board, right? Um, yeah. It was like $6,000 in unpaid utility bills. And then they just kind of said, well, I'm a working man. I got four kids. What a crock. And then they're, they're just zipping along through red lights and racking up fines. I don't know what the rules are. Like if a police officer is driving you, if you've got some sort of escort, do you get to run red lights and these aren't really tickets? Or I don't know what the status of those would be or or should be regarded as. It's a great question because this budget that he passed for lives, there's a great report that A.D. Quigg at the Chicago Tribune did. This budget that he passed relies in record amounts on fines and fees. So. Like maybe lead by example and yeah. <laughs> rack them up and then up pay them. Um, just one last thing on right. this topic, guys. What could the city have done? Give me the best case scenario where the migrants are here and we need to park them somewhere. And remember, nobody wants them. Go. Like I, I haven't heard all of these critics say, well, here's what we should have done other than we've done it badly. OK, give me give me what should have happened. Well, right off the bat, they already have also uh, signed a lease on the land at 115th and Halstead, which is uh, Morgan Park. It's a vast parking lot from an old what was it? Kmart, whatever. I forget. But. They have a vast parking lot there where they could have put the camps. I mean, like, I, I, the whole tent thing I think is insane. But if you're going to do a tents, they could have put it there. It's a big parking lot. And the alderman over there, Ronnie Mosley, he, he wasn't nuts about hearing about it at first, but then he was okay with it because they, they agreed that it wouldn't be there forever. So not even really the kind of opposition that they would have gotten elsewhere. So why did they latch on to this Brighton Park site? They screwed it up so badly that you the only thing you can even point to is that they did sign a deal for like 500,000, more than 500,000 with somebody who did contribute to Johnson's campaign for that Brighton uh, Park site. So you hate to say that's why he's using that land, and they they claim that no one knew that he had contributed to Johnson's campaign. But it's like, if not that, what? I credit something they did do, John, because I was wondering why they didn't use city ordinances to try to stop those buses from unloading. And I noticed that they, they were going to start to impound buses unless they unloaded in a certain place, a certain way. And it, it took them a while to do that, but they did do that. Hmm. And so I did, you know, give them credit for doing something that worked. At least the, the buses don't let people out at random spots wherever they pull over now. One thing on the communication side, we've talked about this before, it should have been treated like COVID. There should have been daily or weekly briefings with our deputy mayor, who is responsible for only this. That person should have been the most visible person in the administration, talking with Brandon Johnson about people with people about what to do. Um, And ultimately, it's not a 
quote unquote migrant crisis. It's really a housing problem. And well, who do you need to talk to about housing problems? You need to have a really good, friendly, collaborative relationship with the real estate and development industry in Chicago. And at the start of this, there should have been a uh, a, a few calls, a few RFPs put out to bid, some expedited permitting, some flexible zoning. And instead, we're getting things like tripling the real estate transfer tax, all these anti-business things flying through city council. The head, one of the heads of World Business Chicago, in their outgoing statement, saying this is a really dis- toxic relationship right now between the mayor and the business community. Um, they could have been ha- having a lot more housing being uh, being built or buildings being retrofitted earlier. That's a really good point. And and the the state is now saying that uh, without this base camp in Brighton Park, besides the two hundred beds in the CBS that they're going to be talking more with specifically with the Chicago Archdiocese. Why would that not have been done before? It's it's sad to see constant closings of churches and schools, but it's it's going on all the time. So how would they not have thought to get together? If they put somebody in an old school or church or building, then they pay rent on that, right? It's not like you're just dropping them there. There is a financial incentive for whoever has the land or the lease. They were going to rent the land in Brighton Park as well. And what was the number I saw? $90,000 a month or something like that was the amount of money that was going to be spent. They ought to be able to find someone to take their money. Neil, you in the Sun-Times Today, page two, Wednesday, December 6th, their resilience is unbelievable. You wrote about the Venezuelans that are coming here through the story of one young lady, a girl who is in high school in Chicago now. Just give us a just a real quick summary. This is at Sullivan High School. And if you're familiar, Sullivan, you know, 50 years ago used to be a very, you know, it was, it was a, a Jewish high school. And then sort of as Rogers Park became a home to different immigrants in the Soviet Union, et cetera. Now, now it's it's sort of immigrant high. In fact, there was, there was a, a wonderful book that Ellie Fishman wrote a couple of years ago called Refugee High. But there's something like 40 languages spoken there. And during the height of Trumpism, I had gone, they have a Thanksgiving dinner to sort of use the 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 mythos of American Thanksgiving as the embrace of this country to newcomers who come here and find bounty. And so I went just because they invited me and it seemed, you know, I hadn't been there in a number of years and, and uh, met some of these uh, kids, you know, every year they went, it's from Afghanistan, it's come Syria. They're, they're always the tip of the spear. And, and I talked to a, a, a young woman there named Sarah who, kind of told her story about what she went through for two years to get here. And, uh, so, you know, they, they're very skilled there. And de- I mean, what I had forgotten until I talked to some of these counselors is it's hard to be a teenager. It's hard to go to high school, even if you're in the most pampered circumstances. And then you add to all the stuff they go through as a refugee. And, and of course, problems come up. Um, so, I, you know, my point I'm always trying to make in my column is that, you know, this is worth the trouble. You know, we can be so focused on the mess ups and screw ups, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in 1950, Chicago had 3 million people. And last time I looked, it had 2.7 million. 
So that's an awful lot of Venezuelans we can stick in there. And all we have to do is get them up, get the work permits, get them somehow settled, and they're going to be doing all the jobs that we need to have done. They're going to be nurses in our hospitals and lawyers and everything else that we need done. So, you know, I when my grandfather was born in Bialystok, Poland, and he wasn't a genius. And he came here and he managed to settle in and work. And that's why I'm here. And I'm sure everyone else has that story. And so... You know, I, I went to, to Sullivan last week and uh, had a really good meal sure. and uh, and met some of these kids who were all, like every kid everywhere, they're all fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they, look, they have problems. There, there were fights and things. Uh, uh, everyone wanted, they were in the news in September because some kid who'd shown up from Venezuela a week earlier and spoke no English sat at a table full of girls in hijabs. And that upset the Muslim students and there were all sorts of ramifications. So I don't want to sugarcoat it and say that it's easy but I, I do think that it's important for us to sort of look past all the numbers at the people who are at the bottom of it. Lovely picture of her in the paper today, too, and about Thank her you. family and their flight to Chicago. You wrote, they were captured by guerrillas, held hostage, robbed. Then Sarah, now 17, had to wait months in Mexico before crossing the border, legally as a refugee, arriving here in July, only to confront a prospect that really frightened her going to a Chicago high school. I thought it was dangerous, she said. I've seen the movies, and I was scared. I would think, I'm going to get bullied in school. Instead, she found herself in the warm embrace of Sullivan High School in Rogers Park. And then you tell her story. Kudos. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, John. It was, it was, it was a pleasure to do. Yeah, I loved uh, Neil's point there. And it's easy to forget that Chicago, as recently as the 1950s, I was just re- I just saw this in a book on Harold Washington that I was reading. In 1950, the share of Chicagoans who were either born in a foreign country or were the children of people born in a foreign country. This is a non-PC term called foreign stock that people don't talk, talk about anymore. The percent of people who are foreign stock, it was 45% of the city. Wow. In 1930, it was 64% of the city. Wow. Before that, it was in the 70s. Um, we've been an engine for prosperity for people all around the world throughout most of Chicago's history. The, the, but there are problems now uh, in that we are not able to provide that same opportunity. But Neil's right that there is cause for optimism when there are brave people coming here for a better life. Mm-hmm. As I was reading the Sun-Times report today on the Ed Burke racketeering trial, I find myself thinking, thank you, thank you to whoever the person is who invented tiny microphones that can be hidden on persons or desktops. The Sun-Times today reported on former all-powerful alderman's trial. And regardless of whether or not what they reported was a crime, you do get a fly-on-the-wall view of how they do business in Chicago. At least they have done business. And as Austin has reminded us recently, they're still doing business. And I just wanted to read a little bit from the story by John Seidel and Mariah Wolfel. Zoheb Danani, this is the uh, young man who came up from Texas to work on that Burger King project. Danani was the vice president of development and construction for Tri-City Foods and had been overseeing the remodeling of a Burger King in Ed Burke's 14th Ward. Burke had concerns about the property and followed up with Danani on June 27th of 2017. Danani explained how his colleagues 
had been responding to Burke's concerns. Good, Burke said. And um, we're going to talk about the real estate tax representation. And you are going to have somebody get in touch with me so we can expedite your permits. Danani paused. Eventually, he said, I'm sorry, Mr. Burke. What was that last part? It seems, he said in court, like the two were being linked together, the property taxes and the permits. Danani's father, Sukat Danani, testified two weeks ago. He told jurors that he had a gut feeling after a remodeling of the Burger King was shut down that he should have hired Burke's law firm. Zoheb told jurors during the June 14, 2017 lunch at the Beverly Country Club, Burke gave him a newspaper about his law firm's work for a high-profile individual. They don't say in court who the high-profile individual is, I guess because if they had revealed that that person was Donald Trump, that would have seemed either unnecessary or pejorative in some way. So they just keep saying that Burke said, I've got this high-profile individual that I've done work for, and he inferred that he should be hired to do their tax work. And they were jaw-dropped, caught aback by it. They had no idea that was coming, and they weren't exactly sure what to do. Uh, So just uh, thank you to the inventors of tiny microphones as we continue to see how these things got done. The gall of it all. This has been going on for, I was thinking of Mickey Siegel and Near North Insurance. Do you know what an engine for corruption, having a business where you leave your card and the person does business with your side hustle and then you smooth things along? This is not the first time. I mean, it is sort of amazing to see how Burke was hustling. Yeah, you actually almost got to give him credit for it. Um but on the other hand, these got you know, if I dug a hole in my front yard and lined it with sharp bamboo sticks, I could get in trouble in the law even if no one fell in and was impaled because it's an attractive nuisance. It's a danger. Okay. And as long as we tolerate, as long as Ed Burke could be an alderman, could be this powerful committeeman and and have this side tax business, you know, not that I'm not blaming him. He was stupid and greedy. And and could have coasted to the end of his career, but you know he was so. I mean, anyone who knew Ed Burke knew how blinded by ego he was, and so this was a disaster waiting to happen. Um, but on the other hand, you know the aldermen get paid like one hundred and forty-seven thousand dollars. It's not like he couldn't find someone to do that job full time, you know. And then we do this all the time with supposed ethics groups and stuff. For some reason, they just can't pull the trigger, and I don't understand that. I would lose my job in a heartbeat if I did what it did. What if you did what? If, if I had some sort of side business where I'd say, okay, John, you know, you have you have to stop by my uh, clothing store and buy a two thousand dollars suit, and then I'm going to write a story about you. That, that that just you can't do that. It's not professional in any sort of profession. And you can't have the appearance of doing it either. It actually doesn't even matter. I think the underlying whether or not you took the action or not. And what is so odd to me, and maybe it's just. It's not relevant to some of the reporting, but there's a sitting state senator in Chicago who has a property tax appeals business, and his name's Robert Martwick, and he makes money doing property tax appeals, and he doesn't get talked about at all. And to th- it's it's about the appearance. I'm not accusing him of shaking people down. I'm saying he's a powerful state senator. He sits on the state pension committee. He was the leading uh, backer of the elected Chicago school board, leading backer of a lot of pension, huge dollar amount pension legislation. And he has a property tax appeals firm. Why is that okay? Um, and, and it speaks to the fact that without that structural change, this this will continue to, to happen.
It's going to continue to happen because uh, in city council alone, they do have this come up every couple of years. And it came up just like the year before Burke left. The council would not vote to make themselves be full-time aldermen. They just can't get enough aldermen to sign on to that, even though um, a majority of them, I think, are full-time now and not doing these side businesses, but they just can't pull the trigger on that. Um, And then, of course, you've got people being okay with electing aldermen who are still doing their side jobs. Yeah, it's not like the people in his ward didn't know that he did tax business. Right. And they actually did a whole overhaul of the city council ethics ordinance back in the late 90s, which was like the Burke ordinance. It, It was based completely on 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 exactly what he's doing here um making money off of depriving the city and cook county of as many tax dollars as he can and they they had the opportunity obviously to make it completely illegal for him to do it and they didn't they just they just stopped short instead he can't vote on anything involving these clients. That's interesting. So, right. But just think about that. So here's a guy who's representing the citizens of the city and should be ready to collect as much revenue for the city as possible. But his private business is 180 degrees. The opposite is at odds with that civic responsibility. So it was a complete conflict of interest in terms financially. So his, his whole fiduciary duty is obviously called into question. Then there's the whole bribery point. I actually have a business plan where it's a it's a dual business plan. I'm a I sell myself as a bounty hunter, and also if you pay me, I'll help you escape the law. <laughs> Even if you got rid of the side hustle, if you saw when the Field Museum wanted to charge more, assuming they need to charge more, and they were trying to push this through, and 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 uh, Burke's reaction was, "Well, you wouldn't hire my goddaughter, godniece as a." as an intern or something, it was just so petty and so the ruffled ego. Um, and it kind of, it kind of was maddening. To he see said he that. was embarrassed about that. Embarrassed like that. Therefore, maybe you're not going to get a rate hike at this world-class museum because I was embarrassed that my friend's daughter, my goddaughter, didn't get an internship. Maybe she was no good. You know, you think, <laughs> I mean, I mean it, it, it's just, look, that happens. Manus manum lawit, okay? You sometimes send people to other things, but then to react that way, to be so vindictive. And I think, you know, if anything, this is a, a reminder of just what a vindictive guy Burke could be. Well, and listen to you, know, you. Listen to you, Mr. Chicago City Council badge holder. I have before me, Your Honor. And if you've watched, I'm ungrateful, John. That's the perfect. That's what you are. I just want to read this here. So you have you're holding it up to the microphone. If you watch the video pre-roll, you'll actually see what we're talking about here for this week's podcast. What is that that you have in your hands, there, sir? This is my honorable Edward M. Burke uh, 40th anniversary special aid star. It's a. It looks like a a sheriff's badge. It's it's a star with a circle around it. If you flash that, I might go, oh, he's been deputized, but it's not. Let me off the hook. And then to the left of that is a picture of you with the image of the badge and then Ed Burke's signature above his name in the lower right-hand corner. It looks very official, like a government-issued ID of some sort. Chicago City Council across the top. And then read the little paragraph that goes with the badge. The bearer of these credentials 
is a person of honesty and integrity. The undersigned requests that all agents and officials, meaning cops I'm in trouble with, of the city government extend every courtesy to the bearer consistent with the ordinances and resolutions of the city council, state of Illinois, city council, city of Chicago, state of Illinois. Wow. Wow. There is a, Neil, did, did you ever see or hear tell of the, the alderman's star? Yes. There's so, a better there, one. Yeah, so I believe every city, I, I think this is still in play, but Burke has been quoted about this and other aldermen have gotten in trouble because of this. Chicago City Council members receive a, a star, like they're a, like Wyatt Earp or something, like right. a sheriff. And yeah. it's a real problem because these people are like, they're supposed to be public servants. Uh, they're not, they shouldn't be enforcing any kind of criminal code or anything like that. Uh, they're usually breaking criminal codes. But it's a big problem when they can just flash a badge at people as part of your job. Is well, is what's the agency that issues it? Is it the police department or the sheriff's I, office? I don't know. It might be the city council. I'm not or it's sure. Just, it's their own little badge. Hey, I'm in the club. But let me just read this again. The bearer of these credentials is a person of honesty and integrity. Well, that's ironic, isn't it? Because this is Ed Burke giving it to Neil Steinberg. And the next sentence says, the undersigned, that would be Ed Burke, Request. So this is Ed Burke's request that all agents and officials of the city government extend every courtesy to the bearer. That's fantastic. So if you do get pulled over, if you do have a problem with your alderman or any city government thing, you go, you know, Ed Burke, I have a document here has asked you to help me out here. The all-powerful Ed Burke. I've even got a silver badge to go with it. That's fantastic. Let me, let me say, as an old person, John, let me say a word in his behalf. Have you ever seen a car with, like, the yes. yellow safety vest on the window? If you've ever seen the little Fraternal Order of Police sticker on the back? I mean, Ed McElroy, my old pal, may he rest in peace, had a, a police commander's baton with the red tassel. So he would park in a crosswalk, and he would leave that on his dashboard as a wink to people saying, look, I matter. And... You know, Ed Burke is, what, 78, 79? So he's from a world where this was just all unquestioned. You know, he would park on the sidewalk and, and, and he would get away with it. And it must be so disconcerting to wake up and suddenly realize all that stuff just doesn't make you safe anymore. It's what I call the lone trombonist theory. You know, you ever see the, the, the college band? The whole band makes a hard left turn, and there's one guy who keeps walking. It's like Dan Rostenkowski, right? What got him? Some, some glassware and chairs and postage stamps. Tr- trivial stuff, okay? But he didn't realize, because if there is a Dan Rostenkowski, he can take all this as mine. And no, times have changed. And so, you know, Ed Burke is getting the memo now. Sadly, he wasn't smart enough to get the memo. Wow. It sounds like you're asking for the kind of sympathy we didn't extend to all of the men who got caught up in the Me Too movement. You're like, wait, times have changed. And in fact, it. but, but I'm thinking, no, but it was still wrong what you were doing back then. It was just more common or well, more acceptable. Well, his victims are more diffuse, okay? Burger King didn't get their driveway in, a, in, in an expeditious fashion. It's not the, quite the same as being raped by Bill Cosby, okay? So I don't, I don't want to connect those two too much, you know? I mean, I don't Al think Franken, I did that, maybe, but the... But the, he, but he the makes the, a joke <laughs> he can't be senator anymore. So it depends when this thing drops. Okay, so then know? read... So I'll just quote you to you again here. I won't lie, you wrote, when Burke gave me his special aid badge... 
There was something flattering, sweet, and old Chicago about it, and welcome to the club pat on the head of my broken-down, wheezing, yet somehow still running remnant of the Democratic machine. But that was an axios. I, yeah, I thought yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, look, maybe it's a cell phone on my part, but there's a certain nostalgia towards that aspect of the city. Okay, you know, people look as a city that worked. They look back to daily and they, you know, they must have liked it. They had a daily for what, almost half a century. And so there are aspects of it that I think people look back on, you know, when everyone's being prosecuted for everything, then nothing gets done. I mean, we could connect this with what's happened uh, over in Brighton Park. Okay, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of exchange of favors to snap your fingers and make things happen. And once you have to send it to the Jedi Council in Norway for an official vetting process, it takes a long time. You know, there is totally that nostalgia there, right? Uh, especially with with Alderman Burke, he's been the most one of the most colorful. He's hilarious. Um, if you listen to any of these tapes, he always says something that's funny um, and often in a good deadpan sort of tone of voice. I'm thinking of the phone call he had with the Nani's son that they played a couple of days back talking about the Burger King. The Burger King, besides needing a driveway permit, they also had were next to a parking lot that was having a lot of trucks parking overnight and there were charges of drug dealing and prostitution either even so it, yeah. that was actually like a problem that right. Burke brought up to them and they were kind of like oh we don't even think we have anything to do with that but this phone call um he calls burke and he says okay we have just figured out that that is our land so we're gonna you know, like basically put up signs and now we're going to do something about that because now we, we've we looked and we we understand we do own that land. And Burke says, so I just made half a million bucks for you, right? You know, that's that's what he does. Uh, so, you you know, I, I feel bad because he's like a character that I'm used to and like a beloved character, right? How did that, make, how did that make half a million bucks for the uh, guy that ran the Burger King? They didn't know that they owned it, but now they know they own it. They, they've they've <laughs> okay. got this piece of uh, land that they, he's, he's let them in on. They have this piece of land they didn't even know, right? I guess – so I totally agree with you, Neil. There's this nostalgia. You can't help but feel bad for Burke. On the other hand – I don't know that it's the same as what he's what he's on trial for now. I don't think it's the same as the whole parking sort of tricks that people have used. I mean, he knows he's doing bad. This is a guy who just barely got off in the uh, ghost payrolling scandal that was also in the 90s where he was employing some ghost payrollers and he ended up blaming it on... A, a dead person who used to work in his office claiming that this guy, it, it was his fault that they were paying Alderman Lorino's daughter to work at his office, but she was never there. How could he know? I do you know, think I, I don't want to wave a flag for him. Stone racist. You know, he, he has, he has a lot of bad qualities as well, although he's also baby T's dad. So, you know, a complicated guy, if you remember that. It strikes me that this is another data point proving the inverse correlation between good government and the proliferation of ceremonial unearned badges from politicians. So you've got like Muammar Gaddafi, 
Kim Jong Un, and it's like these guys are like chandeliers. They got all these things, <laughs> like the number one, like yeah, yeah. collect all these things. Ed yeah. Burke was no different; was always collecting honorific things and giving them out to people. I'm thinking of some of the famous scandalous lines of corrupt Chicago history. I'm not sure if that's a good descriptor of what I'm thinking of, but you've got Rod Blagojevich saying, I've got this thing, it's golden. I've got this thing, and it's golden. We have Ed Burke in this trial saying, did we land the tuna? So did we did land the, uh, the tuna? These are the sorts of things, though, that always require three. What else would be in that school? What else is a... F- I've got one. Um, I've got one. Um, Kate. Thank you. Alderman Lori, Larry Bloom used to be my alderman. And he was Mr. Clean, as I'm sure everybody remembers. He literally called himself Mr. Clean. So when he got caught extorting some campaign contributions to allow some illegal dumping, when he was talking with the guy who was wired up, who was eliciting these campaign contributions in exchange for the illegal dumping, they were discussing how they were going to disguise the the campaign contributions make them look real the mole the fbi mole said you know that he was basically going to give money to larry bloom's campaign via dead people and larry bloom said the deader the better (laughs) didn't forget william beavers uh i'm too old to be a stool pigeon uh and also i don't know if i can say this on your show but the hog with the big nuts yes (laughs) Oh, Lori Lightfoot had a uh, my blank is bigger than yours now that I think about that. That wasn't on a wire. Uh, That was on an email, as I recall. Maybe this is not of the same sort, but uh, Richard Daly's 1968 line about the unrest in the city during the DNC when he said the policeman isn't there to create disorder. The The policeman isn't there to create disorder. The policeman is there to preserve disorder. That's more malaprop than a <laughs> Speaking more to the corruption, if a man yes. can't put, because well, his own you know, children were getting these big fees, et cetera, and, and his line was, if a man can't put his arms around his children or something, then that was where the, they can all kiss my whatever. We forget the, the classic, I believe this ward committeeman's name was Timothy O'Sullivan, who said to Abner Mikva, we don't want nobody, nobody sent. I was looking for the audio of that, Austin. Do you think that was recorded? Is there no. audio of that? That was in 1948. Oh, yeah. No. Abner went to the, I don't, even, I, don't, I don't even believe they know the name of the person. He went trying to sign up, I, I want to say for Adley Stevenson's gubernatorial campaign. That's right. They said, yeah. who sent you? And he said, nobody sent me. And they said, well, we don't want nobody, nobody sent. So this is a story that Mikva would tell about how right. here's how I got my start in Chicago politics. And I know he went, this was in the office of, I think it was the 8th Ward Democratic headquarters. And the, the committeeman was this guy, Timothy O'Sullivan. But I we need to check if it was him who said it, but it could have just been some, some person. line. Sadly, uh, not on tape, though. I know, I know. Well, maybe we'll get somebody to recreate it. We'll get AI to generate it. Uh, by the way, speaking of technology, Cameo is a Chicago-based company that lets you buy personalized celebrity videos. They have been quite successful, and most of us know someone who has given or received a video message from a moderately famous or faded athlete or TV or movie star or politician, you know, someone famous enough that you would never get a chance to talk to them, but not so famous that they couldn't use some cash. Think 60-year-old rock stars 
or 70 sitcom stars, or Rod Blagojevich, or now George Santos. The former congressman went on the Cameo site, and in the last week, he got $150 per video. Then it was up to 200 Then they upped it to 250 And now he's getting $400 per message. And I think it is shameful He may want the notoriety or need the money, but Cameo does not have to partner with him. Cameo makes money on every video that he posts, and he is posting videos. He is famous because of his deceit. I got one of these from Rod Blagojevich. I have uh, one of my disturbed readers who sends me dozens of emails a day paid what I assume is 100 or 200 bucks for this cringing uh, a, po- uh, a message from Rod Blagojevich talking about my column and himself and everything. And there's, I, I disagree with you that they shouldn't be allowed to do this somehow. I think that Santos should be able to make money any way he wants to, but Cameo doesn't have to be party to it. Like I don't, but we don't. That's like saying only fans should. I mean, there's, you know, you're imputing some sort of sense of decorum. They don't care. They're making money. Would they take a murder? Would they take somebody? Pick the most horrible person. And I'm then, sure they would. Maybe be, if they got so much pushback that they had to stop. But I, but if 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 John Wayne Gacy were still alive, sure, and, right? For and instance, that cameo would sell them. I'm sure. I they don't would. think they would. I do. Well, I don't think they should. I think that's shameful. Uh, the word I use. Is the whole thing is shameful. Shame is the this is like a palace built on shame, John. What do you think we're paying for? Yeah, yeah. The shame is you're paying for uh, you're paying for the the drummer and kiss to you know put on his makeup and say, "Hey, Joe, thanks for coming to my concerts all those years. Rock on, man." That's a cameo video. Okay, I I suppose you're right, but that narrows the market. I'm I'm not thinking of cameo as as any kind of beloved institution who's who. I feel one way or the other about so I, I can't I can't feel betrayed by them. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm thinking in, in a country where O.J. Simpson has been easily, you know, I think supporting himself on things like that book. If I did it, um, can we be surprised? I was going to say, you know, Donald Trump is running for president, John. I don't want <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> wow, I thought I'd get some love. I thought I'd get some attaboy, John. You're right. That's awful. I don't have a leg to stand on because I paid Rod Blagojevich to do a, a cameo for someone sometimes. Oh, so I, I like. I feel. I don't feel great about that, but I also don't feel bad about it. I my brother got a Blagojevich. Um, cameo from i think his kids boy i think i'm remembering that correctly and i thought if i had one i don't think i would open it i did i wouldn't want to watch it i wouldn't see the humor in it you know i wouldn't think it was cool because i, I watched it through lattice fingers john <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was so wrong on so many levels well do you know who um, did buy a santos cameo was john fetterman the pennsylvania senator and he had Santos say, you know, hang in there, don't let the haters get you down, to Bob Menendez, the U.S. senator, who's maybe going to lose his job, too, because of his nefarious dealings with the businessmen and people from Egypt. (laughs) Wasn't that funny? Hey, look at that. That'll teach you. 
All right. Guys, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast this week, uh, Kate and Austin. Neil, we don't get you in here often enough, but it's always good when you always do. Always a pleasure. I, mean, I You know where to find me, John. Kate, nice job. And you too, Austin. Thanks for being part of the podcast thanks. this Great week. Thanks. Great to see you guys. Eric Zorn's always part of the Mincing Rascals podcast too, but he's getting ready to sing at the uh, Songs of Good Cheer shows with uh, Mary Schmeek and the gang from the Old Town School of Folk Music. We're produced by Ben Anderson and Pete Zimmerman. I'm John Williams. And we'll drop another podcast on you next week. Very awesome. Thank you. All right. See you guys. All right. Thanks, see you guys. Bye now. See you Bye. Bye bye. Subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. 